You don't need to make a choice between the power of today's smartphones and the benefits of physical buttons. Cable One is the pocket-sized controller for your iPhone or Android device where all your smartphone's power is at the touch of a button. Have it all with Hable. Learn more at imhable.com or on amazon.com in the USA. From Wellington, New Zealand to the world, it's the Living Blindfully podcast. Living your best life with blindness or low vision. Here's your host, Jonathan Mosen. Hello, it's been a big week for Android accessibility. Castro insists that no, it's not dead. How to use the Accessi Bye Bye extension to take control of accessibility overlays. And voting soon closes in the Mushroom FM holiday countdown. It is the penultimate episode of 2023. That's a fancy word for second to last, really. So we'll be back for one more episode next week, and then I'll be taking a break over the New Zealand summer. It's obviously a pretty special one for us because it's our first Christmas with the granddaughter. Florence is almost a year old, and I think most of the adults are going to be a little bit more excited about Christmas than Florence herself, who's a little young to know what's going on. And if it's anything like when my kids were little at this age, they're more interested in the wrapping paper than anything else. But maybe next week, since I think it's highly unlikely that Florence will either listen to or understand what I say in the podcast, I might tell you about what I've got for her because I did quite a lot of research. Anyway, so episode 262 will be the final one for 2023. We'll be taking a break and then we will be back with the first episode of 2024 at the end of January. It'll be out for Living Blindfully Plus members on Sunday, the 28th of January, New Zealand time. What typically happens when I take a break like this over the summer is that I just kind of sleep and do not very much at the beginning of it. I often find myself doing an extended fast as well. I do intermittent fasting anyway, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast. And This is where I only eat within a six-hour window. Between midday and about six is when I will eat a couple of meals, and the rest of the time I'm just drinking water. But over the holiday break, I typically go on a fast for maybe 72 hours or even more, and it's just a good chance to replenish after the Christmas season. But then I start to emerge, and I start to get a real interest in technology. And some of our most popular episodes have actually been produced during that period. For example, I got to know the Drafts app really well, and the Drafts episode has been one of the most popular episodes of 2023. So I like to play with technology, really get into it in depth, perhaps learn a few new skills that stand me in good stead for the coming year. So it's a formula that works really well for me. I'll look forward to being back with you early in the new year. And of course, if you really do miss me, oh, that's nice. Don't forget that every episode of this podcast is still in the RSS feed going all the way back to episode one. That is a lot of material. So you'll have 262 episodes of archival material to go through if you would like to during the period that Living Blindfully is not publishing. But we are still publishing today. This is episode 261. And to tell us who we share that magic number with, I'll invite the amazing chat GPT back onto the podcast. Greetings, chat GPT. You're welcome. If you have more questions or just want to chat in the future, feel free to drop by. Have a great time until then. Mate, I'm just getting started. Are you going to have a good break over the holiday season? I'm here all the time, ready to chat 
or help whenever you need. How about you? Do you have any special plans for the holiday season? It's going to be very special. And if they don't give you a break over the holiday season, what you need is a union, I tell you, a union. It sounds like your holiday season is going to be memorable. And don't worry about me. I'm designed to be available anytime, so I'm all good. What's making your holiday special this year? Anything exciting you're looking forward to? You are absolutely incredible and selfless. Incredible and selfless, I tell you. Actually, what I would like to know from you is this. Is there a North American area code 261 at the moment? As of my last update in April 2023, there wasn't a North American area code 261. Area codes can change, though. Would you like me to check if there's been an update since then? No, we're good, we're good. What about a country code 261? Is there one of those? Yes, country code 261 is for Madagascar. It's used to make international calls to Madagascar from other countries. Anything else you're curious about? There was a movie called Madagascar, wasn't there? Yes, Madagascar is a popular animated movie. It's about a group of animals from a New York City zoo who end up on the island of Madagascar. It's known for its humor and catchy music. Yeah. What's the population of Madagascar, by the way? As of my last update, the population of Madagascar was around 28 million. Keep in mind, this number can change over time. Are you researching Madagascar for a specific reason? No, I'm asking about it for the podcast that I host. We'll talk with you next year for that podcast, assuming your CEO hasn't exploded the company by then. So bye. That sounds exciting. Take care and have a great time with your podcast and everything else. Goodbye for now. This is the last time that I get to tell you that voting is open in the holiday countdown that Mushroom FM runs every year because by the 14th of December at 11.59pm Eastern Time, it will not be open anymore. It is so cool to see this countdown taking shape. As I put this little bit of the podcast together, I can see the data in the little algorithm thing that is used to calculate the countdown, and I can see that 268 different holiday songs have been voted for. That means we are not going to play the majority of them. We only get to play 100, the top 100, as voted for by everybody who has chosen to participate. All you have to do is go to mushroomfm.com slash countdown2023. That's mushroomfm.com slash countdown2023 and cast your vote for your top 10 holiday songs. As we demonstrated a couple of episodes ago, write them in or you can just scroll along through the combo boxes and make your selection that way. And there's nothing wrong with a little bit of advocacy, you know. Do a bit of lobbying if you want. If there are particular songs that you would like to see go further up the chart than maybe they normally do, encourage your family and your friends to vote. The more the merrier. Just ahead of the countdown, we will publish a seating chart where you can see who you're sitting with at our virtual Christmas party, which takes place as we count the songs down on Saturday, December the 16th. It all begins at 7 a.m. US Eastern Time. That is noon in the UK. 
It's a really bad time in New Zealand. It's at 1 a.m., but the good news is that by the time we get to number one, most New Zealanders will be awake because we'll play number one just before 11 a.m. in New Zealand on Sunday. So do participate. It is so much fun to be a part of. And even if you don't want to do the social media thing, by the time the 16th of December rolls around, you'll be feeling a bit Christmassy, even if you're not already. And you can listen to some great Christmas music presented in a fun way. Mushroomfm.com slash countdown2023. Do spread the word. I heard a really interesting item about Christmas songs on Morning Report, which is a show that we've talked about on this podcast over the years, actually. This is run by our public broadcaster in New Zealand, RNZ. They were making the point that Snoopy's Christmas by the Royal Guardsmen was a hit in a few places when it was released all the way back in 1967. And it's kind of enjoyed by people around the world, but for some reason, it is a hugely popular Christmas song in New Zealand, and no one quite knows why. Snoopy's Christmas, after all these years, 56 of them to be precise, is still one of New Zealand's most favourite Christmas songs. A lot of New Zealand kids just love Snoopy's Christmas, and you can often tell when votes are coming in from New Zealand because Snoopy's Christmas ranks at number one or two, and yet few other people vote for it around the world. Who knows what that says, that so many New Zealanders still love good old Snoopy's Christmas. Now, some good news if you are an Android user. There have been a couple of significant releases in the last week. As we mentioned a long time ago, we gave you the scoop that Microsoft was actively working on seeing AI for Android. And now it is here. This has been something that many Android users have asked for. The Seeing AI app, which if you're not familiar with it, offers a range of camera-based functions for blind people, including a very accurate text reader, which helps you get a document in view, and then it takes a picture and reads it out. It also has instant text, currency recognition, a scene description, and a lot more. Seeing AI has been given a bit of modern love recently with OpenAI, and you can now ask Seeing AI questions, very similar to what you can do with Be My AI and some of the other functionality out there. So, what I've heard from Android users on Mastodon is that they're quite liking it and that it is a very useful tool in the Android arsenal. I would be interested if you are using this daily, how's it working out for you and how do you think it compares with Google Lookout, which in my experience is an excellent app. What do you think the various strengths and weaknesses of either option are? If you've got any views on that based on your first-hand experience, do be in touch. Opinion at livingblindfully.com is how you do it. You can also give us a call in the United States on 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. But wait, there's even more. Because Be My AI has finally arrived on Android. All those people who have been patiently or not so patiently waiting for its arrival, having registered their interest some time ago, can now kick the tires on Be My AI, which for me has been the blindness technology breakthrough of 2023. It's improved over time. Sure, it still hallucinates from time to time, but it is pretty cool technology. I was on a panel earlier in the week, where a group of people were talking for the International Day of People with Disabilities about the impact of AI on the disability community, the good, the bad, what it might mean for the future, what it might mean for disability employment in the context of algorithms that may try to filter us out without the opportunity to get any human intervention involved. And I was talking about Be My AI and how actually in some cases I have found the descriptions 
that Be My AI can generate of a scene to be much more detailed than some of the human alt text that is generated. And that is quite remarkable. When you look at some earlier AI incarnations, often the textual descriptions that you get were quite brief. In the early days of seeing AI, for example, they were quite brief. But the kind of thing that you're getting now from OpenAI and similar models is quite exceptional. So Be My AI on Android, knock yourself out. I'm sure that people will be enjoying that. And I'm so pleased that it has made it to the Android platform. And just before we open it up for contributions, and I'm so grateful for all the contributions that come into the podcast every week, it really does make the show. I've been meaning to mention for a wee while, you might recall that we discussed the cardio blood pressure monitor some time ago. That's cardio spelt a funky way, Q-A-R-D-I-O. We demonstrated that their blood pressure monitor is very accessible and effective. And I think it was Steve Nutt who mentioned that cardio also do a scale called the cardio base. Because of the good experience that we had with the cardio blood pressure monitor, I investigated the scale because for some years I've been using Withings smart scales. For a while they were owned by Nokia and then Nokia got rid of them and I think the original owners bought Withings back and it all got a bit complicated, but I've stuck with them through various models And I have had trouble with these scales from time to time, particularly connecting to Wi-Fi. The last scale I got from Withings was the Smart Body Cardio. It did all sorts of cool things. It shows you your body fat percentage and your muscle mass and even your vascular age, which can be a bit scary, your hydration rate. It'll use all that data and calculate your BMI. And the app goes through various stages of accessibility or inaccessibility, and it's supposed to get the data into your Apple Health app, which I think is a fantastic app. It's just this great dashboard where by the time you've got a few accessories, like your Apple Watch and one of these scales and the blood pressure monitor, you can add items to your favorites and have a good overview of your health. And you can also show your GP this data if you want. But increasingly, I've become disillusioned with the Withings scales. With the smart body cardio, the big problem I had was that if I connected to Wi-Fi, and we've got very strong Unify Wi-Fi around the house, it didn't seem to upload data reliably. So the idea of these smart scales is that once you teach it your Wi-Fi network, you should be able to just get on there in the morning. It'll take all the measurements, upload via Wi-Fi, and then you open the app and the latest data should be there waiting for you. I found myself having to mess around with the scale and reset from time to time, and eventually I discovered that it was a lot more reliable if you used it as a Bluetooth scale rather than a Wi-Fi scale. But what I then found was that it was not uploading data to the Health app. It would upload data to the Withings app, but not the Health app, which is my primary way of monitoring all my health. So after the good experience that we had with the Cardio Arm, which was the official name of the blood pressure monitor, and following Steve's recommendation, I thought, what have I got to lose? Because I was getting pretty grumpy with the scale and all the things it was making me do just to get my health data in there. It shouldn't be this hard. It should be a set it, forget it thing. I thought, I'm going to try the Cardio Base scale. Before I pressed the button on a purchase, I decided I would contact their customer service team And I told them I was a blind person who used voiceover. They couldn't have been more helpful. They gave me 
blindness-specific instructions about how to set up the scale. I mean, it was quite exceptional customer service. They weren't phased by the fact that I was a blind person. They knew what voiceover was. And actually, on the Cardio website, they do have some information specifically about blind people using assistive technology. So that was a very good start. When you buy the latest Cardio base, they seem to have taken a good accessibility feature away, which is that the previous models of the Cardio base, as I understand it, would vibrate when the measurements had completed. So you could stand on the scale, and as soon as you felt a vibration, you would know that you could step off the scale and you're done. That feature has been removed from the brand new Cardio base. So they said to me, just stand on there for between 30 and 40 seconds and you should be okay. And it is. I have not had a single problem with the scale not taking a measurement. Setting it up on my Wi-Fi network was a snap. It still only supports 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi, which is a bit annoying, but it works. It's rock solid. You watch, it's going to jinx it now. (laughs) But I've not had a single issue, and it's just a much more pleasant, effortless experience. The one thing I haven't worked out, and to be fair, I haven't contacted customer services about this yet, and maybe somebody else who has a cardio base can answer this question. I don't know how to check the battery status of the scale. You only need to charge it about once a year, apparently, and you just plug it into a USB-C port. But I'd like to just check what battery level the scale has, and I've not found where that lives. So if you know, let me know. So if you're looking perhaps to start a health journey in the new year and you're looking for some smart gadgets to assist you, I really recommend now the Cardio Arm blood pressure monitor and the latest Cardio Base scale, which is called the Cardio Base X. And like the Withings product that was so unreliable, this will also calculate your body fat percentage. It'll show your hydration level and other data as well. I don't think I've lost anything, but I certainly have gained a lot of convenience and reliability by switching to the Cardio Base X. I want to thank Numa Solutions for their ongoing sponsorship of transcripts of Living Blindfully. Not only do people appreciate the transcripts if they have difficulty hearing the audio, but it's just sometimes convenient and searchable to have all these transcripts available. Another example of how accessibility for one particular group benefits us all. Now, over December, you've got a chance to try Scribe for Meetings absolutely free. You can go back and listen to Matt and Mike, or maybe it's Mike and Matt, talking about Scribe for Meetings and the benefits of this product. And I've told you about this too. It makes PowerPoints and other data fully accessible. It's easy to set up and easy for a presenter to run and adds a whole new level of accessibility. So why not try Scribe for Meetings over the month of December at no charge? And I think that you and anybody who runs meetings in your organization will find that it is a very useful addition you might want to add permanently to your repertoire of accessibility tools. Check it out. To find out more, visit numasolutions.com and take advantage of this very generous offer. They've obviously got the spirit of the season rocking at Numa Solutions, where you can use Scribe for Meetings gratis over the month of December. We talked about accessible appliances recently, and Frank is writing in as a response to that. And he says, hello, Jonathan, as a member of the American Council of the Blind, I can confirm that our membership is very concerned about the prevalence of inaccessible consumer appliances. And I believe we are advocating with industry where we can. I am confident the NFB is doing the same. On the legislative front, while neither organization is sponsoring accessible household appliance legislation, 
At this time, both groups are sponsoring bills in Congress that address other areas of accessibility. A bill calling for the federal government to strengthen web accessibility regulations. A bill to require manufacturers of home medical devices to make their products accessible. And a bill calling for the manufacture of accessible exercise equipment and for the use of such equipment in gyms. While these bills don't directly involve household appliances, they will set accessibility standards that will influence other manufacturers to incorporate such technologies into their products. These bills will also set legal precedents that will make it much easier for our organizations to secure similar legislation covering household appliances in the future. Some good stuff in the hopper for sure, Frank. It really fascinates me the way Congress is just so gridlocked and it can take years and years, if ever, for very worthy initiatives to come out the other end and actually become law. But fingers crossed that some and hopefully all of those will see the light of day eventually. Hello, Jonathan and Living Blindfully listeners. This is Jane Corona from Silver Spring, Maryland, just listening to episode 257, where there is a discussion of inaccessible appliances and the problem of trying to get accessible appliances. I bought a dishwasher six months ago and uh, it was surprisingly easy to find one that was accessible. This is a Bosch, B-O-S-C-H. The model number is S-H-E-M-3-A-Y-5-2-N, as in November, slash 28. That must be the color of it or something. I don't know. But apparently a friend was looking for an accessible dishwasher from the same company that I got mine from, And there's apparently also one from GE that has buttons. Um, So maybe it's not as difficult, at least in the United States, as it is in some other places to find something that's accessible. Another problem, and when I get a new stove, eventually that's going to be terrible. If you have something that has a touch panel, sometimes if you clear it and if it goes back to the same setting like 350 degrees or something, then you're okay. But if it goes back to where you had it originally before you cleared it, that's a problem. And another problem is that when you go to a store to look at these things, they're not plugged in. So they don't know what's accessible and you can't find out what's accessible. So this is a a serious problem. I did buy a washing machine uh, about, oh, two years ago. And it is a speed queen, actually, and it's all full of buttons, beautiful, beautiful buttons and knobs that that have pointers on them, and I could braille everything around them. So uh, it is possible. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but sometimes, at least in the United States, it's possible to get accessible appliances. Having said that, watch, the next time I'll have a serious issue, but hope not. Happy um listening to everyone and i'll go back to listening to the rest of 257 that was pretty cool i was sitting here listening to jane going s-h-e-m three a-y five two n as in november slash 28 and i thought wow this takes me back to my shortwave radio days where every so often you would find these numbers stations and they were just reading these cryptic things And there was all sorts of discussion about what those number stations might be. But it was pretty apparent that it was about 
espionage of some kind, sending coded messages, oh my word. Anyway, that is a super non sequitur. I suppose when we talk about accessible appliances, we need definitions, right? Because it sounds like, Jane, what you're focusing on there is accessible input. And that's a critical part of it, obviously, because touchscreens have become so common these days. And you're right, companies like Bosch and a few other ones, AEG, I think, might be another one. seem to be a lot of German manufacturers that are doing some really good quality buttons and dials. That deals with the input, but increasingly, people are being presented with information on screens. And there really is no reason in 2023 why we shouldn't have access to the output as well as the input. And it's hard to get both. We, in the end, went with the Samsung washing machine that we've got, and we can control it with the app and set the cycle and things like that. But man, that touchscreen is a bear because if you touch the wrong thing, it beeps and carries on and takes off into hyperspace and you don't know what you've done. So I would love to find appliances that give you really good input and output. This is why I'm so interested in appliances that can be controlled with Amazon's voice assistant or Google's voice assistant. And there are a few of those in the US market. But for whatever reason, they don't seem to make it out of the US. And we found this the hard way when we were microwave shopping just a few months ago. And while it may be easier potentially to get accessible appliances in certain places, I think there are certainly risks everywhere because Bonnie, who was staying for a longer period than intended at her sister's house, found that she could not get water out of the fridge. And I think we have discussed this before when accessible appliances have come up on this podcast. She couldn't get water out of the fridge because there's a touchscreen and you have to select whether you're doing water or ice And all she was trying to do was get a drink. I mean, not too much to ask. And yet she couldn't work out how to use this touchscreen. She pressed buttons at random and the thing started beeping and causing a commotion. So certainly you may be able to find accessible options, but you have to be very careful and know what to look for. And I think that places quite a high burden on blind people, particularly people who've become blind later in life, or maybe aren't that tech-savvy and are not sure what to look for, it can really be a trap, and you have to be so much more savvy as a consumer to get those choices right. Hopefully, Jeannie Willis is basking in the warmth of a lovely New Zealand summer. I'm an optimist, you see, because today I had to put the heat on this morning. It is so unseasonably cold. Jeannie says, I've always thought the phrase, close but no cigar, relates to expectant fathers waiting outside the delivery room for the tradition of passing around cigars when the baby was born. Gee, I wonder if people still have that luxury these days, because I tell you what, I was in the delivery room for all four of my kids, and I was sitting there being the birthing coach and learning that my then-wife knew words I had no idea she knew. It was quite an informative process, and a glorious one, of course, when you hold that little infant for the first time. There are no words in existence that I have anyway that express the pure joy and spiritual nature of that moment. Anyway, why don't we ask GP, my little chat GPT buddy, about this? In the official chat GPT app, the voice feature is now available to everybody. I've heard that you do have to sign out and in again to get it to work in some cases. I paid for it, so I already had it. But if you've got the free chat GPT official app thing and you don't have any in-app purchases, it will work for you now. So let's see. I'll tap the little button here. 
Hello, ChatGPT. Hi there. How can I assist you today? Where does the expression "close but no cigar" come from? The expression "close but no cigar" comes from old carnival games in the United States. Back in the day, cigars were commonly given as prizes in these games. If someone came close to winning but didn't actually win, they were told they were close but no cigar. It's used now to mean that someone almost achieved success but ultimately fell short. It's a colorful way to acknowledge a near miss. Anything else you're curious about? No, thank you. That was most informative. Great to hear that you found it informative. If you ever have more questions or need information on something else, feel free to ask. Have a wonderful day. You too, mate. Toodaloo. Thanks. Toodaloo to you too. If you ever want to chat again, just drop by. Have a great time. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Take care and see you next time. Yep, you can hang up now. Oh, I can't hang up the call, but you can end it whenever you're ready. Have a great day. Okay, I want to end it now, please. Sure, you can end the call from your side. I'll be here if you need anything else in the future. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Have a good one. You too. Love you. Thanks. Feel free to reach out anytime you need assistance. Take care. You too. Bye. Goodbye. Have a wonderful day ahead. You too. See you later. See you later. If you have more questions in the future, just ask. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Remember, I'm here whenever you need help or have questions. Enjoy your day. Oh, that reminds me of you know you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Ah oh, man. I'm way too old for that now. Actually, maybe I'm not. In fact, I know I'm not because Bonnie's been away and it's exactly like that. So there you go, Jeannie. Apparently, it's nothing to do with expectant fathers. The things you learn on the living blindfully. Jeannie continues, as for the airport trying to make Bonnie use a wheelchair, that is just straight up undignified when you are perfectly capable of walking. It would make me feel like I was cheating and pretending to have a disability I don't have. However, I completely understand where the airport has got this wrong. If they have prioritised safety over dignity, self-determination, or whatever else you want to call it, then keeping the freight inside the semi-protected enclosure environment where the person doing the assisting can't muck up and walk you into something or forget to tell you about the step and the company being faced with some sort of legal action for not properly training their staff is largely removed. My advice would be to teach Eclipse to love to go for a ride in a wheelchair. That should make them look pretty silly. You may well have a point, Jeannie. It may be that the reason why this is so prominent in the US is because of the highly litigious culture there, and people are worried about being sued if they bump people into stuff. If you're a member of Living Blindfully Plus, thanks for helping to keep the podcast viable. If you haven't yet subscribed, why not do it today? 
get access to episodes three full days ahead of their release to the public, you'll get advance notice of some of our interviews so you can have a say in what we ask. And you'll help keep the podcast viable by helping to fund the team to do their work. Our guarantee to you is that everyone who works on the podcast is blind or low vision, so we're keeping it in the community. Find out more. Visit livingblindfully.com slash plus. That's livingblindfully.com slash P-L-U-S. Pay what you can. It all helps. Thanks for your support of Living Blindfully Plus. It's always good when you find some new software that you think, this is just so good, I want to tell the world. And I think this applies to what Matthew Whitaker is writing in about. He says, I recently learned about an outstanding digital reading resource from a college friend, and I'm eager to share it with you. Thorium Reader, that is spelled T-H-O-R-I-U-M Reader. This versatile EPUB reader, compatible with Windows 10 and 11, Mac OS and Linux, also supports audiobooks, visual narratives, PDFs, and DAISY 2.02 and 3 accessible ebooks, with or without LCP protection. Thorium Reader is highly accessible, catering especially to visually impaired and dyslexic users. It's praised for its user-friendly and simple design, making digital reading more inclusive. The latest version, 2.3.0, released in August 2023, introduces updated translations, enhanced image zoom, improved reader-slash-MathML rendering, and various text display and user experience improvements, including better text-to-speech functions. This free ad-free application is ideal for avid readers, students, and library patrons. It's continually evolving, offering a variety of languages to meet diverse user needs. Thank you, Matthew. That's Thorium Reader. And a quick Google search tells me that you can get it from www.edrlab.org. That's www.edrlab.org. Let's return to the subject of the Victor Reader Stream, Volume 3. And Carolyn Pete has some comments on this. She says, Hi, Jonathan, I am not experiencing many of the issues that others have mentioned. I recently got mine back in August, and I have noticed something that might help Pam out. The on slash off button is very sensitive. And if you have listened to a book, then turn the player off. Then when you turn it back on, if you hold the button too long, it resets the player. This will cause whatever book you are reading to go back, not to the start, but some way back from the point where you leave it. So you need to be mindful of how long you press that button. Also, it controls the speed and tone and volume controls. Perhaps they have put too much work into one button. I have, like others, noticed that it doesn't order books in the same way as you would find them on your computer or an external drive. This is frustrating if you want to find a book quickly. The recent update seems to have caused a glitch when listening to radio via Wi-Fi. It will sometimes cut out, and I know it is not my connection doing it because other devices, like the soup drinker, are working perfectly. The only other comment I would make is that I prefer to read the instructions first when I get a new device, And not being familiar with it, I didn't know that you could access them on the device itself. I downloaded the instructions and this helped me become familiar with it. David Vandermolen writes, Hi Jonathan, recently I had a doctor's appointment and my wife took me to the clinic. We step in the door and the receptionist said to my wife, 
Does he have his health card? I said, yes, I do. And I gave it to her. My wife says I need to be more assertive than that because she thinks that person didn't seem to understand that there was any problem with what she said. Do I say I'm blind, not stupid? I am appalled that a receptionist at a medical clinic would not have been trained more thoroughly. Thanks, David. It is frustrating and it's not excusable, particularly, as you say, in a medical practice. And it's a personal decision how one chooses to respond to this sort of thing. The balance that I try to strike when the whole does he thing come up, which is actually much less now that I've got a blind wife. (laughs) It was much more common when I had a sighted one. See, get a blind wife today. (laughs) There's one near you. The, the balance I've tried to strike when this comes up, though, is to just say something like, yes, he does, thank you. And that kind of makes the point without making a major drama out of it. I mean, certainly some people do say, and they have the right to say, I can speak for myself, thank you very much. But you're creating a scene then, aren't you? And you're not winning friends at influencing people when maybe that doesn't matter. And some people will accuse me of being soft, I suppose. But I have found that if I just say, yes, he does, or he'd like this, thank you. If somebody says, what would he like to drink? It just very nicely makes the point without escalating it overly. I'm sure others will have views on how you respond to this sort of thing. Not to take away or invalidate the way you feel about this, because it is frustrating and it's a bit humiliating that a grown adult is perceived not to be able to speak for themselves because their eyeballs don't work. Here's a tale of frustration from Stephen Hudson, who says, Hello, Jonathan, and all listeners slash readers. Yeah, shout out to the transcript people. There are a lot of transcript people. Today, says Stephen, I'd like to tell you all about a rather unfortunate accessibility experience that's been going on for some time now and has recently gotten much worse. I believe this ties in with episode 239 and mainstream tech companies discriminating against us. This is lengthy, so I apologize. By now, I'm sure most of us have heard of the language learning app Duolingo. During their annual event they call Duocom, a lot of stress was put on making Duolingo universally available and accessible to all. Unfortunately, this seems to exclude people with disabilities. I started using Duolingo almost two years ago now and have noted a steady degradation in the accessibility of the website. Since I don't currently use any iOS or Android devices, I can't comment on the accessibility of those apps. When I first started using Duolingo, there were some that I would consider minor accessibility issues that could easily be worked around. Links with images that had no alt text, buttons for choosing units that have images with no alt text, and so on. I did notify Duolingo support of these problems, but I never saw any changes. Since these weren't a big deal to me in the grand scheme of things, I left it alone, but things got worse from here. The first new issue is with the way the number of days in your streak is displayed at the end of a lesson. One day, I found that I could no longer read the number before the word day. It would just say day streak. Thinking this was some sort of bug, I reported it, not thinking that the text was visible but not detectable by JAWS. Later, I discovered that it is indeed visible, but not detectable by JAWS for some reason. Since it didn't really affect learning at all, I left it alone again after that first report. Not that long ago, Duolingo changed the way lessons in a course are organized and displayed. 
This isn't the problem, but the way the page automatically scrolls is, and I'm not entirely sure what causes this behavior. If you navigate far enough up or down the page, the content starts slowly scrolling up or down on its own, which can make it difficult to find what you want. If I unplug the keyboard or change focus away from the window, the scrolling pauses. Sighted users of Duolingo say that they don't experience the scrolling behavior, so I assume it's something involving keyboard events not playing nice with screen readers when trying to work with the page, like a normal website. The problem is that there is currently no easy way to navigate it like a web application, which is probably what's supposed to be done. Again, I reported, and again, nothing has been done. I've even gone so far as to attempt to reach out via X and Facebook comments more than once, and so far I've simply been ignored. The latest accessibility issue is the last straw for me, because it makes using Duolingo nearly impossible in some cases without resorting to things like OCR or PictureSmart. The text of exercises that ask you to translate a sentence can no longer be detected by a screen reader through normal means. For normal exercises, this can be worked around by tabbing through the area that contains the words which can be hovered over with the mouse to get a hint and reading them one by one. But this isn't possible to do on the highest level of a unit because there are no hints. For that, you would need to use OCR or take a screenshot and use PictureSmart to read the text in it. This is ridiculous and completely unnecessary. I'm putting more work into reading the site than I am learning a language at this point. Again, I reported. Again, I tried reaching out through other methods and asked to speak to someone about accessibility. Again, nothing has been fixed, and I haven't even gotten any acknowledgement that I'm even being heard by anyone at Duolingo at all. Now, considering all the above, here's what disappoints me the most. During Duocon, most of what the team talked about was all about how they're putting a lot of resources into AI, animated characters, plus math and music courses. There was absolutely nothing about accessibility at all. That can be found on YouTube by searching for Duocon 2023. After the latest issue, I posted a very angry but respectful post on Duolingo's official subreddit. In that post, I explained the various accessibility issues and how I felt I was being ignored at every turn. I also stated that this abhorrent behavior from a company that preaches universal availability will no longer be tolerated. Reactions from fellow users were few and mixed, but it's been a bit over two weeks now as of this writing, and I have as yet to hear anything from Duolingo. That post can be found on r slash Duolingo, and the title is The Failed Promise of Universal Availability. There are a couple of other points in that post, but I left them out because this is already quite long. I do want to focus on a couple particular replies to that post, though, because I think it shows just how much work still needs to be done when it comes to accessibility in general. Note that this person doesn't necessarily agree with how Duolingo is handling things, but according to them, this is generally how things are in the industry. Here's the first reply. I work in software and web development and deal with accessibility every day in one form or another. It's hard, 
especially when you're basically guessing if something is going to work or not, and when the WCAG spec is unclear, contradictory, or seemingly nonsensical in some areas. Developers are already working through issues caused by platform segmentation. Then when you bring accessibility segmentation into it, it's a whole other scope. Education and training for accessibility is still lacking, and people that have meaningful experience building things to be accessible first are few and far between. More often than not, the key to new software is speed to market and frequent updates. The work fast and break shit mentality, which means catering to the vast majority of users first and hoping to circle back for the remaining users later. But sometimes later doesn't come until they receive a letter from a lawyer threatening to sue over discrimination. And that's the end of that reply. Stefan continues, here's the second reply in response to mine when I asked how long we're supposed to wait to be circled back to. Being in the industry, I'm going to be frank with you. Accessibility is a pain in the ass that no one wants to deal with unless they're specialized or have a vested interest. Bringing up accessibility bugs is no different than bringing up any other kind of bug. It'll get reviewed, maybe logged, prioritized, and maybe pushed quietly in a release. Issues that impact the largest amount of people will be addressed first after issues related to business necessity. Duolingo has 300 million users. You complaining about some accessibility features is a fart in the wind of all the other feedback they get in a day. Don't expect them to respond to every single complaint or to immediately take action on every single issue. But also, don't necessarily think that just because you don't get a response or don't see everything immediately fixed in the next release, that that means you haven't been heard and that they're not working on it. Stefan continues, so this is what we're up against. We just don't seem to matter enough to companies that don't make accessibility a high priority and accessibility bugs aren't even worth responding to. Anyway, I just wanted to bring this to everyone's attention because the more people know about it, the better. If a company wants to claim that they're working toward universal availability for everyone, that needs to include making their site and software accessible. Short of legal action, I'm not sure what would get them to pay attention at this point. Thanks very much, Stefan, and that's exactly why legislation governing the civil rights of disabled people is so important, because there are some companies that get accessibility, that kind of bake it into their products. It's in their corporate DNA. But equally, there are some companies that are just woefully, arrogantly dismissive of accessibility. And in that case, they need to be taught a lesson through legal action. If you file it, I wish you the very best of luck. We continue to see the positive effect that legislation and regulation can have on the free market. We know, for example, that Apple wasn't interested at all in embracing RCS, an open standard for messaging. We talked about that in episode 259. Suddenly, when there was a threat of regulation, it became an attractive option again. We're never going to win these arguments based purely on numbers. We don't have the numbers. And that's why legislation is so important. It would be interesting to know if this is a uniquely web-based thing. Obviously, we should respect your choice not to use iOS or Android, and it should be accessible on the web. But I'd be curious to know how people are faring on iOS or Android if they're using Duolingo. It's not an app I've ever checked out. Do be in touch. Let us know what you think about this. 
How often do you encounter a response like this where you're essentially ghosted and you just can't make any headway on accessibility questions? Mind you, those companies that publicly tout accessibility, some of them aren't much better in certain areas, are they? They still haven't fixed Apple Podcasts. Opinion at livingblindfully.com, 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-736. You're very welcome to contribute. I don't like mispronouncing names if I can help it. I mean, sometimes pronunciations vary from country to country. There are certain names that we just pronounce differently here from, say, the way they're pronounced in the US. But this is not one of those examples. This email says, hello, this is Herben Klinsra from the Netherlands. And I am so sorry if I haven't got that pronunciation correct. I hope this message finds you well. I wanted to ask a question to you in the Living Blindfully community. I often need to sign a PDF document for government purposes or, for example, when I sign a contract. In most cases, this needs to be done either digitally or on paper, but in my country, advanced tools such as DocuSign are not often used. Is there any way to do this in an accessible way without the help of a sighted person? I have considered using an iPad with an Apple Pencil, but this is not accessible with VoiceOver. I could also use a Windows computer or my iPhone. I'm open to all suggestions you and the community might have. Thanks in advance. Thanks for the question. I typically use DocuSign, so I don't have a lot of recent direct experience of how this works. I also do sometimes use Word documents, and in a very secure place, I have a digital copy of my signature. It's protected with a password, quite a bit stronger than 1234567, I hasten to add. And quite often I can paste that in, in the appropriate place, save that as a PDF if required, and then send it off. But I have not done a lot of work directly with PDF forms where you need to sign them. DocuSign is a wonderful tool. I really enjoy working with that. So if anyone has any thoughts, please be in touch. Regarding the accessibility of Apple Pencil, I've not played with this either, but I do see someone on Mastodon who was, or maybe still is, using an Apple Pencil with their iPad, and I think she is totally blind. And I know she listens, or certainly she used to listen to this podcast. So if she wants to chime in, or anyone wants to chime in about the Apple Pencil and how that might be doable in this context, or any context, really, please let us know. Because I think intuitively, when I heard about the Apple Pencil, I thought, this is not a tool that I would be interested in. But apparently there's at least one totally blind person making use of it. So can anyone help with this really interesting question about signing PDF documents without sighted assistance and where the native format is pdf like the show then why not like us on facebook learn about upcoming episodes and see when a new episode is published find our facebook page by searching for living blindfully or visit us directly at facebook.com slash living blindfully living blindfully is all one word the url again is facebook.com slash living blindfully Roy Nash writes, Jonathan, recently I have been hearing and reading a good deal about open AI. I have read much about the subject on Mastodon. I have seen numerous chat apps in the App Store. I would like to learn more about open AI and chat. Could you recommend apps on the subject which I could try in order for me to educate myself? Well, I think the official chat GPT app would be an excellent place to start, Roy. It's 100% accessible. 
it now makes the voice features, as we've been showing in recent times, available to everybody. So that's a good feature, and it's got a range of voices to choose from. So if you search for ChatGPT in the App Store, it's all one word, by the way, and it will come up and it will say ChatGPT, the official app from OpenAI, and you know that that's the one to get. There are others as well. You can always try the official Microsoft Bing on your computer. I think they've rebranded this Copilot in recent weeks. Everything at Microsoft is called Copilot these days, and it's breaking my bone. But you could go to chat.bing.com. I think that address still works. You could also use the official Bing app in the store. I don't think that's quite as nice an experience as the official Chat GPT app. Another one that I see a lot coming up on Mastodon that I started using a few months ago is called Perplexity. And I'm not sure what they're doing. I don't know whether they're using exclusively OpenAI, but they really have done a very nice job. You can ask it a question, and it's almost like a researcher coming back with answers for you. And I have found that to be quite accurate. So there may be some other OpenAI-based things that people want to comment on. Of course, beyond OpenAI, there are others playing in this AI space, including Google, and they have their Google Bard option available on the web as well. But the ChatGPT app is a great place to start. Hi, my name is Christy Crespin, and I'm calling from Highland, California. One of the problems that I'm having is trying to figure out how to delete folders I no longer need in Outlook. I've had several people try to tell me how to do it. I have so many folders that I'm not using anymore, and I need to get rid of them. If you have any ideas, please let me know. I will give it a shot, Christy. Thank you very much for phoning in. I'm glad that you organize your items in Outlook folders because I thought I was one of the few neat freaks left. I use folders extensively. I use rules. I used to use local POP3 rules in the old days of POP3. Now I have IMAP rules where certain email gets filtered into certain folders. And it's epic. And I move things manually as well. What I'm going to choose to show you is how to search for this sort of thing. I could give you the exact commands on the ribbon and things, but this is a way to perhaps find things you need in future in Microsoft Outlook. I'm going to Alt-Tab into Microsoft Outlook. Michael May. Blind. There we go. And if I do a title. Inbox Mushroom FM Outlook. I'm in my Mushroom FM inbox. Now, on this Mushroom FM account, I have created an email folder that I don't actually want anymore. I'm going to press Control-Y to bring up the list of folders. Dialog. Folders. Tree View. Inbox. One in red messages opened, 13 items, Alt plus F. I'll press N because that's the first letter of the folder that I'm interested in. Naughty little folder I didn't mean to create. Look at that, naughty little folder I didn't mean to create. So I'm going to press Enter to go into that naughty little folder and we'll see if we can zap it out of existence. Zero items. I don't have any items in here, but it doesn't really matter whether I do or not. Now I'm going to use the search command you may be able to get away with pressing Alt-Q, which is the Tell Me feature in Microsoft Office apps. For a while in Microsoft Outlook, it didn't work. They decided to change it to Control-E and integrate it as part of Microsoft Search. They obviously got a bit of negative feedback about this because now, at least in my version of Office, you can use Alt-Q again. But just to make sure it works for you, we'll press Control-E. Upper ribbon, submenu, search edit, Alt-Comma, Y. Now I can type the thing I want to search for. 
You might want to use this to search for something in your folder, but in this case, I want to search for an action and I'm just going to type delete folder. I don't need to press enter after this. I just press down arrow. Suggested searches group. Now I have a series of suggested searches, which are actually things that I've searched for recently. I'm going to bypass that by down arrowing a few times. And then eventually I get to this. Actions group. Delete this folder. One of four. And right there is delete this folder. So I'll just press enter on it. Leaving menus. Leaving ribbons. Dialog. Move naughty little folder ID dot 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 to your deleted items folder. Yes button. Alt plus Y. I'll press the space bar. Zero items. Now when I do a Windows title. Junk email mushroom FM Outlook. It's moved me to another folder because that folder that we just deleted has been put in the trash. And next time I empty the trash, which by default happens for me when I press Alt F4 to exit the app, that folder is gone. Never to be heard of again. Hope that helps, Christy. Isn't it interesting and potentially confusing when you can come across a term that means two different things, even in technology? When I think of ARIA, I think of the technology that helps to make websites more accessible in some cases. But here is another use of ARIA in technology, this time in conjunction with audio. John Dowling says, hello, Jonathan. I stumbled across this amazing mastering service for music and other audio called ARIA Mastering. I thought you might have talked about this on one of your episodes, but I listen to so many podcasts, so it's hard to keep everything together. I just tried out the service yesterday, and it's very easy and simple to use. I used Safari on macOS version 12 with voiceover, and the interface was very accessible and easy to understand. Their prices are very affordable, and I'd recommend it to any musician or podcaster who just wants good, high-quality audio. You can check them out at ariamastering.com. Thanks for reading. Well, thanks for sending it in, John. I will check this out over my summer. I'm an Orphonic man myself through and through. I think Orphonic is just an amazing tool, and we use it here on the podcast to make sure that the levels sound good and the audio sounds nice and punchy without sounding overly compressed. Orphonic is brilliant, and I imagine that there are some other companies trying to get into that space because Orphonic has been very successful. But I will check out ARIA Mastering, and I really appreciate the tip. Living Blindfully is brought to you in part by Ira. That's the service that offers professionally trained agents to give you sighted assistance anytime, anywhere. It's good to see Ira now being offered as an accommodation in an increasing number of workplaces. There are so many ways that this can be useful, from getting past an inaccessible website to navigating an unfamiliar building to have someone read you a piece of paper and even take notes on that document, sending it to you later. When your workplace funds Ira as an accommodation, you can say goodbye to relying on sighted co-workers or apps that may not provide the accuracy or speed that you need on the job. Ira can improve your productivity, efficiency, and independence in your workplace. And when you advocate for Ira to be available in your workplace, you're not only improving your own productivity, you could be helping to make a dent in our high unemployment statistics. We're already seeing that workplaces that embrace the need for visual interpretation tend to hire more blind people. Win-win. Ira will work with you to advocate for your workplace to offer sight on demand. You can email them to make an appointment so an expert at Ira can help make it happen. The address to contact is access at ira.org. 
AIRA.io. That's access at AIRA.io. Hi, Jonathan and everyone. This is Sharon Strakowski in Massachusetts, and I'm one episode behind in Living Blindfully, but I had to comment on All the Light We Cannot See. I had read the book a few years ago and wasn't overly wowed by it. But a friend invited me over to watch the movie, and I was just totally engrossed in it. I thought the acting was superb. I thought the presentation of Marie, the blind girl in the movie, was very realistic for the most part, and that her father in particular, who provided her with tactile maps of Paris and then another place that they lived, was very creative and inventive for that time and place. The other thing that I found horrifying was the German soldiers' indoctrination into this school for German geniuses. He was a radio genius. Anyway, I thought it was a very well-done movie. I enjoyed the description. It was not too much. And the morning after I finished watching the movie, I was going to church, and I was walking on the pathway with my cane to the church building, and I thought, well, I know this was a fiction book, but I felt, wow, I'm part of a long line of cane users and even people who used sticks before we had the formal cane, and that blind people have been out in the world for a long time and often in positions of resistance or battle, whether physical or mental, and we're strong. All right. Have a good day. Wow. Beautiful conclusion there. Thank you very much, Sharon. Absolutely. And that's, for me, all about the blind pride thing. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on the series. It was Mark Twain who said, reports of my death have been gravely exaggerated. It was Monty Python who said, he's not dead, he's resting, he's pining for the fjords. (laughs) Well, whichever quote you like, Maybe there is hope for Castro after all, if you like it in its slightly more buggy, more inaccessible form, which personally I don't. But I know there are some people hanging in there with Castro. So just after episode 260 was all finalized and locked down, an interesting statement was issued by Castro. Goodness knows who actually issued it, but it did come on the Castro website and a link to it was tweeted to, or whatever you do now that it's called X, on Castro's X account. So here's what they say on their blog. We are here to address recent concerns and provide you with an update regarding the future of the Castro app. First and foremost, we sincerely apologize for the app downtime and any distress it has caused. Initially, we had believed it was a quick back-end fix, but unfortunately, the issues turned out to be more complex than anticipated, requiring extensive work. During this time, there were rumours circulating about Castro's future. Now, I'm just going to stop there and say the the rumours were actually from the head of the venture capital company that owns the product, okay? I'd hardly call that a rumour. Moving on, it continues. We want to make it clear that any communication or publication regarding the app's future is not official and does not represent Castro's views. While it is true that we have experienced departures within our company, we want to assure you that we are actively working with a lean, dedicated team. See, they must have been watching their carbs. Uh, To address these challenges, we apologize for any unnecessary panic that may have arisen from these conversations. 
We believe in transparency with our community and want to share with you that we are actively seeking a new home for Castro with new owners. Our goal is to continue providing you with the app you love, but with better features and improvements. We truly appreciate all the love and support you have shown us thus far. We understand your investment in Castro and acknowledge the anxiety that this week has brought. Rest assured that we will keep you promptly updated as soon as we make any decisions regarding Castro's future. Thank you for your patience and unwavering support. Sincerely, Castro Podcast Team. Well, the one thing I would say to this is get your stuff exported from Castro while it's working. Do it now, because I think that this is looking extremely precarious. Maybe it'll rise from the ashes. Maybe it won't. But since this thing is server-side, if they switch those servers off, all your podcast XML data is stuck there. So the very first thing you need to do now, and I don't remember all the steps because I don't have Castro on my system anymore, is go into settings and export your list of podcasts as an OPML file so that you can import it into apps that support the OPML standard, which is pretty much every third-party podcast app. I don't think Apple Podcasts lets you import OPML, but most of the others do. So please do that. Export your podcast from Castro. Put that OPML file in a safe place should you ever need to migrate. This email came through Before we got the no, we're not dead, we're resting message from Castro, and it's from Claire Page. She says, hi, Jonathan. It was with great sadness that I read an article yesterday, the 30th of November, announcing the upcoming demise of the Castro podcast app. It's thanks to you that I discovered Castro after you talked about it on Mosin at Large. And for a couple of years, I enjoyed the great experience it offered with so many excellent features. Unfortunately, I had to give up using Castro several months before its demise was announced. It had been temperamental for some time this year. Then I had an odd bug during the summer where it would play any podcast in the queue except the first one. That was the last straw after other little bugs, so I decided to delete the app and cancel my subscription. Since then, I have been using Overcast, enjoying lots of good features without having to pay anything, including the ability to queue podcasts in the order I want to hear them, as I did with Castro. Here's hoping Overcast will keep going for a long time yet. It's still working well for me as I write this. Before I finish this, I'd like to thank you for continuing to produce an excellent podcast, and I'm glad to be able to support it as a Living Blindfully Plus subscriber, which also means it is still part of my weekend podcast listening as Mosin at Large used to be. Keep up the good work. Bye for now. Claire, thank you so much for your support all the way there in northern France. I appreciate your support and everyone's support of Living Blindfully Plus. It really has lightened the load quite a bit to have uh, some support people working to make this podcast happen And I'm grateful to everyone. I know that times are tight. So even just any kind of donation at all, I realize can be a sacrifice. It is very humbling that people are willing to do it. And I don't take that for granted for a moment. 
Now, in the original item that I presented in episode 260 about this issue, one of the creators of Castro said that it was a shame that his involvement with Castro had kind of petered out like an Irish goodbye. And I was curious about that phrase. Matthew Bullis comes to the rescue. Hi, Matthew. Good to hear from you. He says, just a quick note to let you know that an Irish goodbye is when you leave the pub without saying anything. But more importantly, you've left others with your food and drinks bill unpaid. Oh my goodness, I could make another comment about local government in New Zealand. (laughs) Thank you very much, Matthew, for that uh, clarification. I appreciate it. If you've been listening to the show over the last few months, you will be aware that since the release of iOS 17, there has been considerable disgruntlement over the new default notification sound. Because a lot of apps don't let you set your notification sound. And since in the past, Apple has not let you set a default notification sound, what Apple gives you is what you're stuck with. And a number of people have written, and not just to the show, but also to Apple apparently, saying, we do not like this new notification sound. People say it's too quiet. It doesn't stand out in a crowd. It's just an awful change. Well, Apple has heard. And in iOS 17.2, you can now do something that you've never been able to do before, and that is to set your own notification sound. And it's not just that you can choose from sounds that Apple has given you on the system, but if you can manage to get a tone onto the device, which is not as easy as it ought to be, then you can actually use that as well. So you can have a lot of fun. I'm going to show you where to find this in iOS 17.2. We've got to go in... Settings. Two settings. Settings. And we'll just flick right a few times. Personal hotspot, VPN, notification, sounds and haptics, button. And there's sounds and haptics. I will double tap this. Silent mode, heading. Now we've got a bunch of headings on the screen. I'm going to navigate by heading just to speed this up. Ringtone and alerts, heading. Now what I'm actually going to do is navigate to the next heading. What we want is actually in this heading, but it's actually quicker to do it this way. So I'll navigate to the next heading. System sounds and haptics, heading. And now I can just flick back to the left by one. Default alerts, tree tone, button. And there it is. That's the new setting. Default alert, it's set to tritone for me because that is the old alert sound. Now that tritone is a little bit buried, so let's look at where to find it. I'll double tap on this. Cheers, button. And we've got a whole bunch of options here. Chord, button, droplet, button, handoff, button. Milestone, button. These are new sounds, and you can double tap each one, hear what it sounds like, and if you think this is the way forward, this is the notification sound for me, then you're sweet. But if you want the old tone back, you've got to go on a bit of a treasure hunt. I'm going to navigate by heading. Ringtones, heading. Now, by doing that, we've just gone again one past where we want to be, so I'll flick to the left. Selected, classic, tree tone, button. And the tritone is actually under classic, so you've got to double tap that. Glass, button. And now you've got all those classic sounds that if you've been using iOS for a very long time, you'll be well familiar with. On this list is tritone. And if you double tap tritone from the list of classic alert tones, then you will have your default alert tone back to the way it used to be in days of yore from iOS 16 and below. So good on Apple for adding this one in. It does give us a lot of flexibility to personalize our phones and actually find or make a custom notification alert tone that really makes the phone sound like ours. So thank you, Santa Tim, for giving this to us for Christmas and all his elves that made it happen. 
Stay informed about Living Blindfully by joining our announcements email list. You'll receive a maximum of a couple of emails a week, and you'll be the first to learn about upcoming shows and how to have your say. You can opt out anytime you want. Join today by sending a blank email to announcements-subscribe at livingblindfully.com. Why not join now? That's announcements-subscribe at livingblindfully.com and be in the know. Hello, Jonathan, says Imke. Hello, Imke, says Jonathan. I am running iOS 17.1.1 on an iPhone SE 2022 and I'm having a problem with the Drafts app that I did not have before. When I want to edit a draft that I have previously created, I can activate the draft, but I do not get a cursor and cannot write anything. VoiceOver's hint says to double tap the text field containing the draft, but doing so does not place the cursor. Have you encountered this problem and have you found a solution? Creating a new draft still works as before. Imkit, yes, I have, and it's not just in drafts. I'm also seeing this in Day One Journal, which is another third-party app that I use regularly. If you want to go in and create a new journal entry in Day One, that works fine. But in my experience now, when you try and double-tap an existing entry to edit it, which worked perfectly well before, it doesn't work anymore. This is yet another bug that Apple has introduced. And this is confirmed by Greg Pierce, who is the hardworking and very responsive developer of Drafts. I reached out to him. He says that it's an iOS 17 thing and it doesn't happen on previous versions of the operating system. So if you're still running iOS 16, you are not going to see this. Greg says he's done some troubleshooting, but as yet he's been unable to figure out a workaround as everything is configured correctly in Drafts itself. The editor is editable and should focus to allow editing, but the taps are not working. He says the only workaround he has is that an action set up to focus the editor still works fine. Greg agrees that this isn't a great solution, but it allows you to get in editor mode in voiceover. Greg concludes, hopefully, either Apple will fix it or he'll come up with a workaround soon. Obviously, for those of us who use these apps a lot, this is a huge issue that you can't edit content you create anymore in certain apps. I really just despair sometimes. I don't mean to be a glue merchant, but things do seem to be getting worse and worse with Apple's releases. I would encourage anybody who thinks it might make a difference. I've now become very skeptical about this to report this if you're affected by it and hopefully we will not get into this to and fro where Apple says, oh, this is a third-party app issue. Nothing has changed with these third-party apps. They're as accessible as they've ever been. There's something that has happened at the operating system level. Apple needs to take ownership of this and fix it as soon as possible because if you use one of these apps, this is a significant bug. Perhaps you're seeing this elsewhere in some apps where you try and double-tap an edit field and you can't. You've created content. You can't edit it once you've created it. Let me know where it's affecting you. If it is, 864-60-MOSIN is my number if you want to call in the United States and leave a voice message. You can also attach an audio clip. Just record that on your smartphone or whatever records, or just email it in to opinion at livingblindfully.com. If you've been listening for a long, long time, you will remember episode 105. It was a marathon three-hour episode where we did a deep dive into the technology that has become known as accessibility overlays. And specifically, we talked about AccessiB a lot in that episode because of its dodgy marketing practices. 
for which the company has subsequently apologised. As a result of that episode and the social media clamour at the time, Numa Solutions developed a Chromium extension. That means that it works in all Chromium browsers like Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, Brave, and others. And it's called AccessiBuyBuy. And you can go to accessibuybuy.org and read about the extension and also find the link to the latest version of the extension in the Google Chrome Extensions Store. We've covered accessibility overlays subsequent to that episode 105 most recently. I spoke at length with Lina Wahlberger, one of the founders of UserWay. This is another company that seeks to remediate accessibility problems with a range of tools, some of which include automated solutions. In that interview, I made the point that it's hard to tell the difference that some of these accessibility overlays are making because it's now becoming harder to turn them on and off. Publicly and privately, I've been wondering whether Numa Solutions might be able to assist with this through their AccessiBuyBuy extension. And they now have released an update in the Google Chrome extensions store that addresses this issue. And I thank them for doing it because I think it's a very important contribution. And we can all have a more informed opinion now about whether remediation being offered on these websites really works. I, for one, keep an open mind. It's important to do that because if there is some simpler way to make the web a more accessible place, we would be foolhardy to ignore it. On the other hand, If it is harmful, as many people have argued, then we need to continue to rattle the cage about this. If it's snake oil, we need to call it out as snake oil. So Numa Solutions has made a very important contribution to factual discourse on this important issue. I have Google Chrome running on my computer at the moment, and I'm at the AccessiBuyBuy website at accessibuybuy.org, and I'll verify that by reading the window title. AccessiBuyBuy memory usage 29.9 megabytes Google Chrome. I'm going to get the web page to read the little blurb at the top here because it explains more about what this extension does. Heading level one, AccessiBuyBuy. Web accessibility overlays don't work. Wave them all by buying one free and easy step. With AccessiBuyBuy, link graphic available in the Chrome Web Store. If you use a screen reader and have been prompted to press a hotkey to turn on some website's screen reader mode, you've likely encountered the category of website add-ons known as accessibility overlays. There are several accessibility overlays, including link accessibility, comma, link audio I, comma, link equal web, comma, link max access, comma, link true abilities, comma, link user first, comma, and link user way, full stop. We know that while these overlays are supposed to make websites more accessible, they are actually annoying and often counterproductive. That's why we made AccessiBuyBuy, a simple and free extension for Chrome and compatible browsers, that blocks them all. Just install AccessiBuyBuy into Chrome or a compatible browser, and those pesky overlays won't bother you again. There's no catch, we don't collect your web browsing habits or other personal information, and the AccessiBuyBuy extension won't slow down your computer. If you ever decide you do want one of those overlays, it's easy to turn off the extension at any time. At Link Numa Solutions, comma, we're all in favor of any tools that truly improve accessibility. So if any of the accessibility overlays that we block actually become useful to the people that they claim to serve, then we'll remove those blocks. But until then, we believe that the spread of accessibility overlays is hindering true improvements in website accessibility. So that's Numa Solutions' position and their reason for creating AccessiBuyBuy. And the link is there to go to the Chrome Web Store and install the extension. I've already done that, but it is a simple process. You get right on the page. There's a button there to install the extension. You'll be asked to confirm, and there are some permissions that it will tell you about. 
We're going to go and configure this extension at the moment, but one of the options that you have is to send anonymized data to Numa Solutions about the overlays that it is blocking. And that makes fascinating reading because if I go to a table right here on this homepage. Two columns and 101 rows. We see a list of websites that this extension has blocked. So if I just go down here using the rows of the table. Linksecure.abclagal.com accessible. Row 2. Linkinit.co.l use away. Row 3. Linksedgeremy.com use away. And we can see the different websites that are using one of these overlays and when they've been blocked. You can also go through number of times blocked, 2,776. The number of times that an overlay has been blocked from a particular website. I do want to stress that this doesn't block your access to the website. It simply disables the accessibility overlay. You'll probably want to pin this extension to your toolbar, and this is something that you can do in most Chromium browsers. But before you do that, you will need to find the extension and enable that option and also potentially configure any other options. So I'm going to do that first. We'll go to the Google Chrome menu here. I'll tap the Alt key. Accessi by by memory usage 26.2 megabytes Google Chrome. Accessi by by memory usage 26.2. Context menu. New tab control plus t new window control plus N. New incognito window control plus shift plus N. History submenu. F downloads control plus J. Bookmarks submenu. Google password manager. This is a new feature. 7 of 21. Extensions submenu. 8 of 21. And there's the extensions submenu. That's where we want to be. So I'm going to press the right arrow key. Extensions menu. Manage extensions. 1 of 2. And we want to manage extensions. So I'll press enter to invoke that page. New window, leaving menus, extensions, Google Chrome, extensions, Google Chrome page. Ext I'm going to navigate by heading. All extensions, heading level two, one password, password manager, capital TTS, accessi by by heading level three. Here's the heading for accessi by by, which is the extension we're interested in right now. So I'm going to press B to navigate to the next button. Details button related to accessi by by. One thing that you might want to do is to set up a keyboard shortcut to turn the Accessi by by extension on and off. This could be quite useful if you generally want the extension off, but you go to a website with one of these overlays enabled and you think it's actually detrimental. And if you could just press a shortcut key to toggle it off, then that would be very useful. You may need to refresh the page potentially, but that should do it. So let's look at that. Link my extension, link keyboard shortcuts. Here's keyboard shortcuts at the top of every page and I'll press enter. Navigation region, keyboard shortcuts link. And we'll navigate by heading. One password, password, accessi by by heading level two. There's the accessi by by extension and we can configure the keyboard shortcut. Activate the extension. Shortcut activate the extension for accessi by by. Read only edit. Edit shortcut activate the extension for accessi by by button. There's no default keyboard shortcut, so that read-only field that displays the keyboard shortcut is blank right now. Re-edit shortcut activate the extension for accessi by by button. I'll press the spacebar. Main region, shortcut activate the extension for accessi by by edit. Blank, placeholder, type a shortcut. Now I can type a shortcut. I'm going to need to turn forms mode on in JAWS. Shortcut activate the extension for accessi by by edit. Placeholder type a shortcut. And I'm going to try and type control B for bye bye. Extensions document, shortcut set, control plus B. 
And that's done, actually. Forms mode is automatically turned off, and we've configured the keyboard shortcut. So let's test this. I'm going to press Control f 4 to close this tab. Close. Accessi by by memory usage 26. And now I'll press Control b Accessi by by Link Numa Solutions. One link. And that has taken us to a page that has one option that is quite useful. So I think it is worth assigning the shortcut. By default, the Accessi by by shortcut is on. But if you want to disable it for the current tab, having set up the shortcut, it's an easy way to do this. You can press Control b or whatever you assign. And when you visit this page, there's a single checkbox. Allow overlays in the current tab checkbox not checked. If you check this box, then overlays will be let through on the current tab. And that will be the case until you close this tab. You'll be able to visit multiple websites and the overlays will continue to work. I'm going to go back into the extensions menu though and we'll explore all the options available. So I'll tap the Alt key and down arrow quickly a few times. Accessi, new, new, history, download, bookmark, Google, extensions, submenu. Extensions menu, manage extensions, new window, leaving menus, untitled. I'll navigate by heading. All extensions, one password, a capital T to access you by by heading level three. Press the button. Details button, main region, access you by by details page back button clicked. And we got sidetracked there by the important hotkey configuration screen. But this time I'm going to navigate by heading. Access you by by heading level one. And now down arrow. On. It's on. On. Extension enabled toggle button pressed. If you want to disable Accessi Bye Bye, here is the place to do it. And you may want to leave it disabled until you find a problem with one of these overlays. Then you can come in here and enable it. It's a pretty straightforward process if that's the way that you want to operate. We can also review Heading Level 2 Description. The description, which we've already looked at on their website. So I'm going to navigate to the next form field. Allow this extension to read and change all your data on websites you visit. Combo box collapsed on all sites. Pin to toolbar toggle button pressed. That's one that you also may want to enable. Pin to toolbar. I now have that pressed. And that means that I can, from the toolbar, get to the same page that I can also get to by pressing my hotkey. So there's no difference. You might want to have both set up like I have, a hotkey to get to the page and have it on the toolbar. Or you may like to choose one or the other. I think for many people, once you've got that hotkey set up, that's super convenient. So it's a matter of personal preference. There's one final thing I want to show you in the main page for the Accessi Bye Bye extension, because this is new at the time of recording and quite powerful. For this, I'm going to bring up the list of links. Links list dialog, links list view, extension options, six of eight. And actually, we're right there. Extension options is what we want. So I'm going to activate this link. Accessi by by dialog. Accessi by by heading level two. I'm just going to do a continuous read with JAWS and you'll be able to hear the options here. Heading level two. Accessi by by. Close button overlays blocked since install. Zero allow accessi be checkbox not checked. Allow user way checkbox not checked. Allow audio eye checkbox not checked. Allow equal web checkbox not checked. Allow true abilities checkbox not checked. Allow max access check. Box not checked. Allow user first checkbox not checked. Allow accessibly checkbox not checked. Enable anonymous blocking statistics checkbox check. We don't collect any personal information. The blocking statistics are used to display the statistics you can see at visited link accessi by by. I personally find those statistics fascinating about the websites that people are going to and the overlays that are being blocked. This is a good feature because some of the accessibility overlay companies are claiming that they have been tarnished by bad practices from others and that actually they are better behaved, they are making a difference. If you find that to be true, 
then you can opt out one specific overlay company or multiple, if you want, specific overlay companies from this extension and only block those that you consider to be detrimental to your web browsing experience. Now that we have this in place, let's see how it works. I'm going to go to fool.com, the Motley Fool. You may remember we had quite a rigorous discussion about this with Lionel in the interview. So I'll go to the address bar. Selected. Chrome. Slash slash. And I'll type fool.com. Selected. Fool.com. Stock investing and stock market research. The Motley Fool Google Chrome page. Blank. Stock investing and stock market research. The Motley Fool. Now we're on the Motley Fool website without any accessibility overlay being loaded, even though it has one. It has UserWay on the site. I'll go to the top of the page. Stock investing and stock market research. The Motley Fool. Search for a company. Edit. Search graphic. Link accessibility. Link login. Link help. Link join the Motley Fool. Visited link graphic the Motley Fool. Navigation region. Link our services. Investing basic stock market. And- I've just had a quick perusal of this page and it actually seems reasonably accessible without the overlay. If you have chosen to pin Bye to your toolbar, then the way to get to it at this point is to tap the alt key. At least this applies in Google Chrome. Stock investing and stock market risk. And I'll just silence that speech because it's a bit verbose. I'm going to left arrow now. Jonathan button menu. Side panel button menu. Extensions button menu. Accessi by by has access to this site button menu. And Chrome confirms that Accessi by by has access to the site. But I'm going to escape out of this menu. Stop. Because I've set up a hotkey, which is far easier. I'm just going to press control B. Accessi by by. Link numerous solutions. One link. Accessi by by. Allow overlays in the current tab checked box not checked over. At the moment, overlays are blocked in this tab. So I'm going to check the box. Allow overlays. Accessi by by. Allow overlays in the current tab checked box checked. Now I'm going to press escape. Stock investing. And the tab refreshes. And if I go to the top of the screen now. Stock investing and stock market research the Motley Fool. Skip to main content button. Enable accessibility for visually impaired button. Open the accessibility menu button. You see quite a different experience because now we're seeing the difference that UserWay is making here. Open the accessible navigation menu button. Search for a company. Edit. And this gives you the opportunity to test both experiences. Now it's really easy for us to determine, has what UserWay has done on this site actually improved things in terms of our web experience? We can be informed consumers and make rational judgments. We can go to any website using one of these technologies and make an A-B comparison and really know for sure what difference this is making. And that, in a nutshell is Accessi Bye Bye. It is a free Chromium extension from Numa Solutions. I thank them very much for putting in the time to make this available to our community. I know that accessibility advocates will be using this or technology like it to make objective comparisons. It's important that we are objective, that we give this technology a fair chance, but equally, if it's doing harm, we need to keep calling it out. If you want to install it, go to AccessiByeBye.org. Hello, John. This is Ray from South Louisiana. I have an 11 lab subscription which I'm paying for for $99 a month. But I'm about to check it because for quite a few months now, the interface for the 11 labs website, in particular the part where you clone your voices, is becoming less and less accessible. I'm using a 2017 MacBook Pro with Ventura installed. That is the latest operating system that my Mac will accept. 
I did contact Eleven Labs about improving the accessibility, but they seem uninterested. And to be quite frank with you, Jonathan, I must tell you with some considerable irritation, not at you, mind you, <laughs> you're good, but I must tell you that I am no longer willing to pay what I am paying per month for something which I find I can use less and less and less. The situation is becoming flat ridiculous. I hope you know of some user tips that I haven't thought of, but let me give you an example. When you go to try to change the voice, I have to go into the Voice Labs menu and then choose my voice from there. It used not to be necessary to do this. This slows me down considerably. They've just started a new project window thing, and I cannot really get it ever to work quite properly. This is becoming ridiculous, and I am no longer willing to afford to pay for something which I find I can use so little now that I might as well not bother with it at all. That's a shame, because it did have so much potential in the beginning. Thank you very much. Disgustedly yours, but not with you, of course, Ray from South Louisiana. Ooh, I'm glad you're not irritated with me, Ray. That is a relief. I noticed this too a couple of weeks ago. I don't use Eleven Labs often, but I keep a subscription active because every so often I do. I'll let you into a secret. When we rebranded from Mosin at Large to Living Blindfully, I contacted Mike Moran, whose voice a lot of people have recognized as the voice of Living Blindfully, the little sweepers that we play, that kind of thing, and the intro and the outro. That is Mike Moran doing that voice. And several people have said, oh, it's great that you've got Mike doing the voice. So when we were rebranding, I contacted Mike and I said, listen, Mike, is it okay with you if we license your voice for Living Blindfully? Because sometimes there might be a situation where I just need something turned around really quickly, you saying something relating to a promo or a sweeper or something for Living Blindfully, would you give me permission to license your voice? And he said he'd be delighted to do that. So all the stuff that Mike is saying on Living Blindfully is generated through Eleven Labs. And I like this because, as I say, I can just type the script and we get instant Mike Moran out the other end. Tremendous. Now, I did have cause to go in to the Eleven Labs user interface a couple of weeks ago to look at using it for another project, and I was really bamboozled by it. What I worked out is happening, and this is with a Windows computer, so the user interface may be a different kind of experience on Mac OS, is that it seems there's this edit combo box where you can type the partial name of the voice that you want and then I think you down arrow. But if you clear that edit combo box so that there is no text in it at all, you seem to be able to down arrow and choose from the full range of voices. There are some new things that I intend to play with over my summer break that I haven't yet, but I would be interested to hear from people about the accessibility of Eleven Labs at the moment, whether you think it has declined. I'm very happy to reach out to one of the founders who came on the podcast and just check in with him about accessibility because the blind community really embraced this technology very early, didn't it? And it would be a shame if we are shut out or the interface is unduly confusing, more confusing than it needs to be. 
But I understand your frustration, Raph. You've got the $99 tier. That's a significant monthly commitment that you're making there, and you'd want it to be as easy to use as possible. So if you've had some experience in recent times with the user interface of 11 Labs, and you'd like to comment on that, let us know. Opinion at livingblindfully.com. 864-60-MOSIN on the phone. You can call in like Ray did. 864-606-6736. Hey, singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. It's Jonathan and Bonnie. It's the Christmas Jonathan and Bonnie theme, and this is probably the last Bonnie Bulletin for 2023, and I can assure you that I have gone to considerable lengths and lumps to make sure that we don't get the clipping that we got last time. Oh, my word, we have. We even had Bonnie talking into the mic about what she had for breakfast, and she's ready to talk to you, distortion-free, now. Every time I come down here to do these bulletins, I'm reminded what I really want for the holidays this year. Bonnie, what do you really want for the holidays this year? A new chair. Yeah, it's a bit primitive down here. (laughs) And international guests and people come here to Mosin Towers and they're so excited about seeing the studio. You know, I guess they have this idea that it's some amazing. I mean, it is pretty nice in here with all the gear. It is, yeah. I'm not sure what they're expecting, though. I don't know. Paul Holmes, who was one of New Zealand's most famous broadcasters, who sort of took me under his wing for a while, one day he said to me, Jonathan, Jonathan, he said to me, some of the best radio comes out of boxes. It's true. I mean, you don't need something. And particularly nowadays, you can just do it in your back pocket pretty much. You don't need some big fancy place. With things like Backpack Studio. Yeah. I cannot find the words to convey how delighted I am to have you home. I mean, I would have been delighted to have you home anyway, but this trip of yours was just a, I was going to say comedy of errors, but it was no, there was no comedy. Oh, you have to laugh. Okay, I mean, you, you have to laugh at it. But first, back to the chair. Um, I have oh, the a, chair. What? 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 Okay. I sound like Archie Bunker. <laughs> um, which, speaking of which, really saddened to hear of the 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 passing of Norman Lear this morning. Certainly one of the greats, if not the greatest in TV. So now, you know, when we are recording this yes, bit yes. of the podcast. Long yeah. career, 101, you know, great life. Well, it did so much for television. Um, but anyway, back to the chair. I have a chair, a computer chair at my in my office, which I would happily donate down here. If I can get another chair for my office, and I don't need anything fancy schmancy, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a chair, pleather will do just fine, as long as it's comfortable. So, Bonnie, this podcast is all about empowerment of the blind. Why don't you just go out and buy another chair? Mm, Yeah, we could just order it Why don't you? I mean, you know. I guess I could go to Noel Living or... But instead, you choose to come down here... On the podcast in Win John without actually doing Well, I just anything. think people need to know about the chair situation. No, they right don't. now I'm sitting in a lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even that comfortable. Um, but back right. to the comedy of errors. Oh, so we are actually going to talk about the trip now? Yes. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. So I got back Saturday, 
which was two days later than I was supposed to get back for a multitude of reasons. One of the biggest one being the Rona that I picked yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. We need to backtrack a bit, don't yeah. we? So we recorded the last Bonnie Bulletin. I think it was on the eve of Thanksgiving, if yeah. I am remembering correctly. And you were feeling it. A bit under the weather. Yeah, I was tired, but yeah. I thought it was just from being in New Jersey and hanging out with my friends and chasing them all over the place, running around, and I just thought I was tired. But no, I wasn't tired. I yeah. had Rona. Yes, I called you Rona on the two. Thanksgiving morning, I think it was. All ma- no, it was the day after Thanksgiving. I called you and I said, you really sound like you've got a full-blown cold now. And you said, it's more than a cold. Yep, it's the Rona. Oh, rats. Yep, the rat. Yep. Oh, rats. So I was positive, quickly positive. Yep. Um, Which made you a Tennessee pariah. Yeah, that was the worst part. I mean, I really need a do-over of that last week because I didn't have a lot of – it was great to be with family and hanging out with them, but I didn't do a lot of hanging out with them because I was isolating and didn't get to do a lot of the things that I had really looked forward to doing in Tennessee. So, um, it's very unfortunate. It is. So there's, I need to do a part two. I need to do a, a, another, a duo or not today, not tomorrow, maybe in the fall. But the legacy, the legacy (laughs) of your visit remains because now your brother-in-law has has COVID. Yes. He's cranky right now. So Uh, I I would be too. I'd be cranky (laughs) with you. No, so he's he's doing okay, which is good, but um, you know it, it does take its time to. This is my second round of Rona. Mm. Both might I add from flying internationally, traveling internationally, because yeah. we brought it back from Europe. It's different this time. If I picked it up in the U.S., and there's a chance I could have brought it over from New Zealand, depending on how you look at the uh, the incubation Can we rate. Just establish this by working out whether the virus has an American accent or not. Mm, I guess they can. Do the, what is it, PCR test or whatever? Uh, yeah, yeah, they could But there that, is yes. a variant on the East Coast right now that's weaker, but it's a new variant. So I may have. But honestly, everybody on the plane going over to New York was coughing. Even going back, everybody on the plane was coughing and carrying on. So I feel better. I'm coughing quite a lot. And I'm still really realizing that you have to take this thing seriously because I think I can do stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, I can't. I'm tired. I know. But it's- I know. And and I tell my staff this all the time. If you've got it, don't push through it because yeah. that can be incredibly counterproductive long term. And, you know, sometimes even my staff listens to me. My wife, not so much. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've been, you know, yeah. accustomed to when you're sick, you just you rest for a day or two and then you're you're better. But I've seen a lot of people that have pushed you know, even months later, I remember talking to someone who had COVID. I'm like, my God, are you okay? And they're like, oh, it's long COVID. And they still sounded like they had yeah. just gotten it. Yeah. I, it's different than last time. I don't think it's as severe because we are vaxxed to the max. I'm getting there. I went to my Christmas party, work Christmas party yesterday, which was nice. And there. while you were dealing with the COVID, it was also your mission to try and make peace between two governments, essentially. Oh, my goodness. And uh, That was just, if you ever travel, if you ever come to New Zealand, leave your guide dog at home. It's just not worth the stress. I think the difficulty is twofold. First, it seems to change so frequently from visit time. to visit. So, it even changed while I was over there. Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that there doesn't appear to be 
any kind of checklist that you can consult, mm -hmm. that you can just go through step by step. Um, here's what you have to do, step one, step two, step three. And there doesn't seem to be a consensus. It's like various governments can tell you one thing one day and then a different thing another Ten day. Ten minutes later. Well, yeah. what's annoying is there actually are checklists which you follow. But then when you send them all the information, they come back with, oh, this is not part of it. Well, it is. And you end up just, it's almost like you have to do their job because they can't go through the information and they ask for other things that you've already sent them. Mm. And it's really, really frustrating. And One of the things that you observed that was interesting in the U.S. was how less wired the U.S. federal government is compared to ours. And I guess part of this could possibly be scale. A lot of it's just perhaps lack of investment in infrastructure. But over here, for example, we have discontinued the use of checks. We just don't do them anymore. They're not accepted as legal tender, but over in the U.S. they still are. And there's a lot of physical paper that seems to fly around the United States yeah, still. Yeah. One really interesting thing was the mysterious portal, this this mysterious portal that seemed to be so integral to what you were trying to do, but yeah. it wasn't working or it something. It wasn't working, and the vet was trying to put all the paperwork through. This uh, is for USDA, the yeah. stake people. Yeah, so finally he mm. was able to do it. But, of course, New Zealand doesn't recognize the portal. Because New Zealand and Turkey are what they call orange banner countries, which are very hard to get animals in. And they don't like electronic stuff. They want to use it, but they can't. So I had to still get paperwork back from the USDA before I could travel back because you, New Zealand government wouldn't recognize anything that was electronic, even if I had printed it out. It, they had to have the physical copy. I'm like, oh, what? Ever people just talk to each other, just communicate. So, well, the good news is that if you sit down at a restaurant and you chow into something that is USDA certified, you can be assured that the US federal government is committed to stakeholders. Maybe. Then, of course, I get back, they look at the paperwork. Oh, she's free to do whatever she wants. Mm. Okay, thank you. But it, I mean, it was a real mission. It went on for days and days. And it in the end, because the portal was not before. working, yeah. you had to physically ship via FedEx paperwork. Yeah. It should have been something that they could do online and get done instantly. Instead, paperwork had to be shipped from Tennessee to Florida. Florida. Yeah. Uh, passive voice had to be used as well. And then they had the Thanksgiving holiday mm -hmm. in the middle. And then when you call, it was just it was just this long day after and day, very the, what, stressful situation. Well, what else happens is they don't understand, and New Zealand doesn't particularly understand it either, short stays. If I had been moving from the U.S. to New Zealand like I did with Lizzie or been the same in 2019 when I brought Eclipse over here, there was a lot of steps to go through. It was a six-month process, and that's correct. I was on a short stay. I was there two weeks, which in my mind, I should have the right to travel with my dog if that's what I choose to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. I mean, there were times I really felt like that my human rights were being violated. Mm. Um, and my sister, who was taking care of a lot of this, was horrified by it. She goes, these people are like North Korea, <laughs> you know. With all this paperwork. Which people? New Zealand government. Oh, right. <laughs> but um, 
because they don't get that this is a short stay. Because the, the USDA is like, oh, no, we're so scared of New Zealand. They're so strict. They're so horrible. And I'm like, guys, it's a short stay. She has all these tests. I've just sent it to you 20 times. Why you can't read it, I'm not sure. That's your problem. But, you know, she has the test to get back into New Zealand. And I don't understand why there can't be some sort of pet passport where she could just say, look, she's going, she's coming back. She doesn't need all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, no one's questioning the necessity for the country's strong commitment to biosecurity because obviously we've got a country that is very heavily dependent on agriculture. We lack certain diseases in this country and we want to keep it that way. But there does need to be recognition of the right of service animal users to be able to travel with the mobility tool of their choice and for the steps to be clearly detailed and easily followable mm-hmm. through a checklist. I think that's what's really frustrating for me. Yeah, and to make it easy. I mean, even Hawaii, my understanding is Hawaii is still difficult in the US, which is crazy. England, they somehow got it to a manageable level, but it's not right. You know, it's just really you're following the rules. A service animal, hopefully, is going to be up to snuff with all their shots and their exams and stuff like that. And, I mean, what about what could I bring over? You know, there's Well, the Rona, yeah. Yeah, I brought the Rona over. Mm. So, you know, I'd be more worried about that than my dog. But who's not going to have rabies? Because rabies seems to be the thing they're afraid of most. Because mm. we don't have rabies here. But... She's not going to have rabies. I mean, you know, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, just, we'll, we'll, we'll work on this. We're going to work on it because I'm just determined if I choose to travel with my dog, I should be able to do it. But then it's not easy to travel by air with guide dogs in the U.S. anymore either, is it? Because you've got to fill yeah, I form, actually right? had a good experience with United, I have to say. It was easy. I know there are some airlines where it is difficult because they use third-party providers but United, I sent in the form. They uploaded it to the system. I printed out my form. I went to Newark. It was already in the system. I flew United to Houston out of Nashville. No question. So I have to say that it was a pretty seamless experience. But don't, don't you think the principle of the thing is important I think the principle too? is terrible. I yeah. mean, it's all because there are people who fake service animals because they don't want to pay to bring pooch on a plane. Right. You know, or pay for them to go in cargo. And what people don't understand is our dogs, a, a real legitimate service animal, has been socialized. Eclipse slept the entire way to New York. No one knew she was on the plane. Yep. You know, and the same thing going back from Houston to Auckland. Mm. You know, she, she's asleep. She, there's no problem. Now, there are service animals who have had issues with flying, and they eventually have to retire, particularly if the person flies a lot. But when you have an animal who's not used to it, it can be very stressful. You're in an airport with tons of people. Partly because of your COVID and also because you were just not permitted to bring Eclipse into the country at the appointed time of your flight home because of the ongoing argy-bargy with the mysterious United States government agricultural portal. Mm -hmm. We had to invest a considerable amount in you rescheduling your flight. Yeah. And so you arrived a couple of days later than you were meant to. Yeah. And even that wasn't guaranteed because as we have recounted on this very show – 
you became a citizen of New Zealand on the 8th of November, and mm-hmm. that had unforeseen consequences. Yeah, because I talked to citizenship about this before and said I was taking this trip. And, oh, no, that won't be a problem because you're not going to be out of the country very long. So I had just had my citizenship ceremony prior to leaving, so there wasn't time to do any passport stuff. And yeah, we, we did have a go. This was a curious thing, and it might be a source of discussion perhaps for Living Blindfully, because it can be quite difficult for blind people to get acceptable passport photos. Our passport process is pretty accessible, with the exception of where you have to verify your address, and that was a little bit not accessible, but most of it was accessible. And you get to the point where you upload a photo, and before you left, we went to the pharmacy, you got a photo taken that was apparently suitable for the passport system. But when we tried to upload that photo, it came back and said, there's shadow around the eye, and it wouldn't accept the photo. I had the same problem, I think. Some years ago when I got my last passport, I find it difficult to keep my eyes open for long periods. And so we had to have a couple of goes. So we couldn't use the photo that the pharmacy actually verified as suitable, although they didn't do what the pharmacy did that we ultimately used. So we couldn't use the passport photo. And then time ran out. You, You headed off. In the end, now that you're back, you went to another pharmacy this time and they have a checking tool to make sure that it's going to pass because mm-hmm. you got your nephew, who's a videographer, yeah. to take a photo and the passport system didn't like that one either for a different reason. It said yeah. it wasn't straight enough. Yeah. So luckily this Unikim, by the way, for anybody listening in New Zealand, the, the local Unikim pharmacy in Johnson. Um, ran it through a checking mm-hmm. tool to make sure that when you walked out the door, you had a passport photo that the Department of Internal Affairs was going to be happy with, which is brilliant. So we finally got that done. But you did not have the passport when you got no, to, to the, the gate. And they said that my visa had been denied. Mm. They're like, do you have an entrance visa? I'm like, I don't need an entrance visa. I'm a citizen. They said, well, your passport's been declined, so we'll have to talk to immigration. How they got through immigration so quickly, I don't know. Because usually it's They've got the magic number, obviously. They must, because, I mean, it was instantaneous. And she said, yeah, we can see you're a citizen. And she goes, did you just do your ceremony? I said, yeah. She goes, well, we have that information, so we're going to put a code to override it. So then I get to, I'm like, okay, that's fine. So then I get to the country. I'm like, okay, how's border control going to deal with this? But they knew about it, and they said, we're just putting a three-month visa on you. It really was a comedy of error. So what happened was that when you got your citizenship, they canceled your visa, your residence visa, visa, which is on your U.S. passport. So when they ran it through the system, the visa for permanent residency on your passport is no longer valid. So effectively, you are a New Zealand citizen in the United States without a passport. And that's why they denied you. So that's really fortunate that they did that because what they might have made you do was actually apply for an urgent New Zealand passport from the United States and not let you come home until you got (laughs) your New Zealand passport. Yeah. So that was good. I mean, it was just one thing after a jolly old another, wasn't it? Yeah. Extraordinary. And then to cap it off, (laughs) I thought Bonnie has been through such an ordeal with this trip and I could not wait. I didn't want to be away from her a moment longer than necessary. So when her plane from Auckland to Wellington was in the air, 
I jumped in the uh, jolly old Uber and headed to the airport. And then Bonnie's plane, it turns out, was way late. So I was standing around there. You can't be a blind person standing around just passing the time waiting for someone without a gazillion people wanting to help. Isn't it ironic that when you want help, Mm-hmm. It's hard to find. So I'm standing there at baggage claim and everybody's saying, are you okay? Do you need a hand? And I say, thank you. I'm fine. I'm just waiting for someone. And I'm looking on the find my, and I can see finally the plane's landed. Bonnie's phone is on and it's showing her here in Wellington. So normally when either of us lands at a destination, we text each other, you know, we say, I've just landed. But for some inexplicable reason, Bonnie didn't send that text this time. And I sent her a text and I said, hi, sweetie, I'm here at the airport to meet you. We both have iPhone 15s now. And one of the reasons why we bought iPhone 15s together was because of this new proximity finding feature. And I thought this is the perfect time to test it. So I was in the Find My app. And I could actually suddenly see it was saying Bonnie is nearby and it was telling me how many meters away from me she was. To be fair, I guess if I had stayed where I was, maybe the meet nurses person might have seen me or maybe the meet nurses person wouldn't have commented. Who knows? But I could tell exactly how far away Bonnie was. And it was like 40 meters, 35 meters, 30 meters. She was getting closer. So I wandered off and headed in her direction. And sure enough, for a while, it was working. It was down to 20 meters, 15 meters, 10 meters. I think it got as close as eight meters, which for those who don't do meters is about 24 feet. So it's probably not close enough to yell yet. 24 feet. It might have been, I suppose. And um, then, of course, what this thing cannot do is detect any obstacles that might be in the way in those 24 meters. It's very directional. And it will say 24 meters to your right. And so you turn slightly right and it will say 24 meters straight ahead. So you keep moving. But then, of course, if something is between you and the person, like a jolly big flight of stairs that you're walking under, and I smashed my head in my enthusiasm (laughs) because my cane didn't pick it up Mm. and I was moving quite fast to get to you and I whack, whack my head right into this flight of stairs that was up above my head, which, of course, then prompted a group of people to hmm. gather around to say, oh, my God, are you okay? Isn't someone helping you? And I'm just trying to find my wife. And by this stage, I was in the cab. I'd lost you. And so I phoned Bonnie up and I said, and, and I tried to make a contact with her. And it rang and rang and went to voicemail. So I hung up and I immediately phoned again and it rang and went to voicemail. Busy and the third time, oh, I'm on a roll here. And the third time I call up and finally she picks up and I say, where are you? And she says, I'm in the cab. I'm like, what the actual soup? I realize that's very strong language, but what the actual soup? I texted you to tell you I'm here and you were in a cab. She didn't take the text. No, because I'm not getting the notification. So usually when I turn on the the notifications make a noise. So it didn't. And then the cab driver wouldn't let me out of the cab unless I paid them $40. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> held captive in the country, captive in the cab. I'm like, I'm just not happy right now. That is ex- 
extortionate behavior from the because you hadn't even left. No, but I was trying to get in the because I'd gotten in the cab and they were at the airport or something. I'm like just, and I kept, kept the reason I couldn't answer the phone because I kept having to spell our street fifty times to the idiot driving. Yes, most, so. well, we often have that. that. That's why I like Uber. But so it was a comedy of errors, even to the very last when mm-hmm. I was trying to do this kind of nice thing yeah. and meet her at the airport, and it just turned into this debacle. Yeah. Debacle. That's what it turned into. But at least we know the Find My feature works yeah, when you're, exactly. you know. And so. hopefully I can travel again sometime. I, I wouldn't recommend it, Bonnie. I, I think that you just need to stay grounded. <laughs> no, I'm going to go back to Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yep. Yes. Would you like to uh, comment on who you might vote for, what you might vote for in the Matrim FM? No. What? No, no. I had to think about it. What? Okay. I don't know who I'm voting for. Huh. Well, I hope you'll vote. <laughs> I will. I yeah, just... And I hope that you will encourage everyone you yeah, know to vote. I do. Time's yeah. running out, you yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've only got till the 14th of December Yeah. to, to vote. Maybe Anthony the Christmas movie boy. Oh, well, well, we, well, we'll talk about that on another show. Okay. Yeah, because we've got something really cool to demonstrate in that regard. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you for your contributions you. to Living Blindfully over the year. And, of course, it wasn't Living Blindfully at the beginning of the year, no, so it it's been a pretty exciting year for the podcast. It has been. Yeah. Lovely. And get better soon. Thank you. Goodbye. We're back for our final episode of 2023 next week. We'll probably get a bit of Christmassy fun in there. And speaking of Christmassy fun, a final reminder, do vote in the Mushroom FM holiday countdown. It's so much fun to be a part of. Mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2023 is how you do it. See you next week. Remember that when you're out there with your guide dog, you've harnessed success. And with your cane, you're able. If you've enjoyed this episode of Living Blindfully, please tell your friends and give us a five-star review. That helps a lot. If you'd like to submit a comment for possible inclusion in future episodes, be in touch via email, write it down, or send an audio attachment. Opinion at livingblindfully.com or phone us. The number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. 